Brothers and sisters, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. So last week, as uh, you may recall, we heard the story of Joseph being sold into slavery and taken down into Egypt, and we ended uh, our uh, chapter, our reading, with Joseph in prison, and he had risen uh, to the top of prison as far as being in prison can go, but the chief jailer had put him in charge of the rest of the inmates. So our story today now finds Israel, uh, the, the, the tribe of Israel, the descendants of Jacob, uh, Joseph's father, leaving uh, Egypt now after having been uh, slaves in Egypt for generations. So just to give you a sense of how much time has passed, uh, Joseph was the son, one of the 12 sons of Jacob, also called Israel. Moses is one of the great, great grandsons of uh, Jacob, also called Israel, uh, a great-grandson of uh, Joseph's half-brother Levi. So some significant time has passed, and in the meaning, uh, intervening time, uh, things have not gone so well for Israel. So if you remember, uh, Joseph, after he leaves, after he is in prison, he becomes uh, acquainted with Pharaoh through one of Pharaoh's chief, uh, chief cupbearers, one of Pharaoh's chief officials. And uh, Joseph interprets a dream for Pharaoh. Maybe you remember this story. Uh, Pharaoh, or Joseph rather, interprets these dreams that Pharaoh's had of uh, uh, predicting that there's going to be uh, seven years of famine followed by seven years of plenty. Other way around. Seven years of plenty followed by seven years of famine. And, uh, and so Joseph recommends to Pharaoh, take someone who is wise and put them in charge of collecting food during the years of plenty, and then you'll have enough stored up for the years of famine to see the nation through. So you remember this. Well, Pharaoh, when he uh, hears this interpretation, says, well, I know someone who is wise. I've got this Joseph uh, person right here. And so he brings Joseph out of prison, and he places Joseph as second in command of all of Egypt. So things are going very very well for the Israelites at this point. So at the end of the book of Genesis, then we find Joseph in charge of Egypt under only Pharaoh, collecting uh, the food during the years of abundance and distributing it on Pharaoh's behalf during the years of famine. And all of Joseph's family, the descendants of Jacob and Jacob himself have come and they are now living in Egypt in Goshen and they seem to be living pretty well down there. The book of Exodus then opens very differently because we hear this is long after Joseph was alive, long after Joseph has died, that another Pharaoh arises in Egypt, one who did not know Joseph. And this Pharaoh becomes afraid of the Israelites, of the Hebrew people. He becomes afraid that they are so numerous and so strong that they might rebel, they might overthrow the ruling dynasty in Egypt and so he enslaves the people of Israel. At this point, this is the part of the story that we're all very familiar with, with Exodus, right? So there's uh, Pharaoh commands that no more uh, baby boys uh, shall be born to the Israelites. He doesn't want them to be able to build up their numbers, build up their strength to rebel. And so he orders that any uh, male children that are born to the Israelites must be thrown into the Nile River. And of course, this is when Moses is born and his mother takes him and hides him in a basket uh, and floats him at the edge of the river and Pharaoh's daughter comes and finds him and he ends up being raised uh, as part of Pharaoh's household, as uh, Pharaoh's daughter. So this part of the story is really familiar. Honestly, it's probably one of the better known stories in the Bible, 
probably because there's these uh, wonderful movies that come out every generation or so, right, uh, about Exodus. In fact, uh, as a preparation for this sermon, I went back and watched one of them, the one that's probably my generation's definitive Exodus movie, which is The Prince of Egypt, uh, the uh, animated one at the late 90s. For some of you, it's probably The Ten Commandments with Charlton Heston. When you think of Exodus and the parting of the sea, that's what you think of. For me, and I, I think a lot of folks my age, uh, The Prince of Egypt is what we think of. And so I went back and I watched that to see how, how well it been a long time since I'd seen it. How close to the, the scriptural story is it? It's pretty close for the most part. They take some liberties, of course, but uh, you know they've got to make some family drama to make uh, an entertainment value there. Um, but for the most part, it catches the big events of Exodus, right? We, we know the story. So Moses flees Egypt. He, uh, while he is living out among the Midianites, living as a shepherd, uh, he has a, a wife and, and children there. He's got a whole family out there. He sees this bush that is burning and yet not burning up. And God calls to Moses and sends him to Egypt. Uh, Moses resists. This part of the story isn't usually told as much. Moses resists a lot if you read that story. He really does not want to go. He doesn't think he's a good speaker. He doesn't think he's a good leader. Uh, And uh, God finally says, fine, I'll use your brother Aaron, but you still have to go. Aaron will do the talking though. So most of the time, Aaron's actually the one doing the talking for Pharaoh. But so he goes back and he tells Pharaoh, let let my people go. Pharaoh says, no, there's uh, plague after plague after plague. Finally, the last one, the death of the firstborn. This is where uh, the first Passover comes. They take the blood of the lamb and, and put it on the door so that the curse will pass by the door frame or by the houses with the blood on the doors. Uh, and finally, Pharaoh says, fine, you can go. Take your flocks, take your children, go out, worship your God in the wilderness. And then they go. Of course, they get stuck at the sea. Pharaoh comes after them. We heard this part today. God has his great victory over Pharaoh uh, and the uh, army of the Egyptians at the Red Sea. At when, when I was watching The Prince of Egypt, though, uh, it opens with this song, and maybe you're, I don't know if you remember, if you've seen it at any time recently, it's a fairly catchy song, but it's called Deliver Us, and it starts in this, this scene of the, uh, the Israelites uh, laboring in their slavery, it's showing the brutality, the uh, abuse of, of slavery under the Egyptians, you know, they're building all of these structures, how much of this is historical, I don't know, but it, it gets a point across, and, uh, and then... Uh, and, and then while they're doing this, they're, they're singing this song of deliver us. They're calling out to God to deliver them. And I love that it started with that because in the telling of the Exodus story, this is the key moment for the Israelites. The key thing that happens for Exodus is not uh, Moses' uh, sympathy for his people, for example, uh, learning to have sympathy for his, his, uh, his, slave, uh, his enslaved people. It's not Moses' courage to go back, because as I mentioned, he doesn't actually have a lot of courage. Aaron sort of has to hold his hand uh, by God's command. It, it's not even uh, really that the people are now turning to God all of a sudden, But rather, it's this prayer that God hears and God decides now is the time to act for Israel. So I want to just read in Exodus chapter 2 where this moment happens. It's right near at the beginning. Um, This is after Moses has fled from Egypt, um, but it's before the burning bush. And this is what we hear. Out of the slavery, oh, the, the Israelites groaned under their slavery and they cried out. And out of the slavery, their cry for help rose up to God. And God heard their groaning. And God remembered his covenant with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And God looked upon the Israelites, and God took notice of them. Now you notice we're told about five or six different times the same thing, that God noticed Israel. 
Their cries rose up before God. God remembers his covenant. God looks upon the Israelite. God takes notice of the Israelites. And everything that happens in the Exodus story, the burning bush, the plagues, uh, the victory at the sea, even all the way leading up to the Ten Commandments, comes out of this moment when the prayers, the cries of Israel reach God. And anytime you have a verse that tells you the same thing about four or five times in a row like that, you know it's important. That's a, that's a key that you should focus on it. But there's something that, I really, uh, that really strikes me about this prayer. I don't even know that the Israelites are praying. They're groaning under slavery. They're crying out. It doesn't say they're crying out to anybody. They're just crying out. And yet somehow these groans and this crying out makes its way to God. Now, if you remember in the burning bush story, one of the the things that happens that's so important in this uh, revelation of God to Moses at the burning bush is that God reveals God's name to Moses. You remember this? So Moses says, well, who who should I tell them sent me? I mean, how are they going to believe me when I go back? Which God are you? You can almost hear him asking. And God says, I am who I am. Tell them I am has sent you. And then he says, tell them Yahweh has sent you. Uh, Or as our English Bibles usually translate it, the Lord. When you see Lord in all caps, it's the name of God, Yahweh there. By this name, I will be known throughout the generations. And then later on, God even says, you know, when I spoke to Abraham, Isaac, and uh, Jacob, I did not reveal myself by this name. They didn't know this name. I revealed myself as El Shaddai, uh, God Almighty, or God of the mountains. Uh, But they did not know me by my name, Yahweh. So who is Israel even crying out to at this point? They don't even know the name of their God. Sure, they probably know the stories of their ancestors. They probably know about this God who made this promise to Abraham, but they have been living for generations in Egypt among foreign gods, many other gods, and those gods seem to be having a lot more power than their God. So if they are crying out to a God at all, is it the God of Israel that they are crying out to? Perhaps, but perhaps not. But God still hears, and God still remembers, and God still notices. You know, there's something similar that happens in our reading uh, for today in chapter 14. So uh, the Israelites, after they've left Egypt, uh, they've been traveling for at least a day, maybe several days, and they've come and they've camped next to the sea. And they turn and they look and they see the whole army of Pharaoh coming down after them. And, and this is what we read. I'm now in verse uh, 10 of our reading. Uh, As Pharaoh drew near, the Israelites looked back and there were the Egyptians advancing on them. In great fear, the Israelites cried out to the Lord. So here's the prayer. They cried out to the Lord. But then listen to the actual quotation of what they say. They cried out to the Lord. They said to Moses, okay, first off, Was it because there were no graves in Egypt that you have taken us away to die in the wilderness? What have you done to us bringing us out to Egypt? Is this not the very thing we told you? Let us alone and let us serve the Egyptians. It would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the wilderness. Not exactly a model prayer that I would recommend. And then a few verses later, in verse 15, here's what God says to Moses. So the Lord now said to Moses, why do you, Moses, why do you cry out to me? And that's a strange line because if you read there, it doesn't say anything about Moses saying anything. 
Moses has spoken to the Israelites. He's given them a wonderful promise. The Lord will fight for you. You have only to keep still. But he has not said anything to God. And yet here God is responding to Moses. Why do you cry out to me? As I was uh, doing some studying on this passage, I came across uh, a, a part of uh, a commentary that uh, Luther, Martin Luther, wrote about this. And I meant to write the quote down, and I didn't, so I'm going to do my best to do it from memory. Um, but he's writing about this verse, and he says uh, something to this effect. He says, you see that the prayer of a Christian, uh, even in the unspoken yearnings of the heart, are like a great cry in God's ears. God must answer Moses, he says, even though Moses can't even whisper it because of his anxiety and his trembling. Even though Moses isn't able to bring words to the prayer, God hears the cry. Even though the cry of the Israelites to the Lord, we read, is really just them blaming Moses for their problems, God hears the cry. God knows what they need, and God delivers beyond their wildest expectations. I guarantee you not one person on that shore thought the sea was going to part and make a way for them. The best they could possibly hope for was maybe the Egyptians would be merciful and let them go back into slavery rather than killing them in the wilderness. But God answered beyond their wildest imaginations. Last week, I uh, referenced one of my favorite verses in Romans uh, eight twenty eight. All things work together for good for those who love God. It's a wonderful promise that we have. Uh, and this week, I want to point you to another verse in Romans 8, just two verses before that one. This is verse 26 of Romans 8. And there we read, The Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know how to pray as we ought. But the Spirit intercedes for us with sighs too deep for words. Here with Moses and the Israelites, whether it's in their slavery or in fear of the Egyptian army coming to them, they groan, they cry out, but they do not have the words. But the Spirit intercedes for them with sighs too deep for words. God hears their prayer and knows what they need and answers with deliverance beyond their wildest imagination. I think so often we are intimidated by prayer, especially praying in front of people, right? Uh, if you've ever been in a group where I've asked, do any of you want to open us in prayer? You know how long that silence can go on, right? It's intimidating to speak in front of people because we feel like uh, we don't have the words. It can even be intimidating to pray on our own. Uh, probably you have had the experience, I certainly have, where you feel like you really need to pray, but there's just, you just can't find the words to say anything. All you can do is just sort of, if you're lucky, be silent uh, before God. Often even that's hard to do. But the promise we have from God is not only that we ought to pray, not only that God hears us when we pray, although we have those promises, God even gives us words to pray. After all, we have uh, Jesus's prayer, the Lord's prayer, as words that we can make into our own. But God actually promises to pray on our behalf, that the Spirit intercedes for us because we don't know how to pray as we ought. So brothers and sisters, whatever the oppression, the slavery that you are experiencing, whatever the anxiety, the fear, the army of Pharaoh that feels like it's bearing down on you as you are trapped against the sea, 
know that God has already heard your cry. Even if you haven't found words to express it, even if you don't know what you should ask for, God has heard your cry. For the Spirit is interceding for you. The Spirit is sighing and groaning for you. And God, your Father in heaven, will deliver beyond your wildest imagination. Amen.